0: Every moment with you has been amazing. I've never met anybody like you. And I can't wait to spend more time with you. Ralph, will you accept this rose? It would be my honor. that's pretty fun. Dennis Dennis making plays. Saw that the first time, I'm like, he must have some money too. Uh, is that okay to say that? I actually, speaking about being funny, I some of you guys, did anyone watch the Lions lose again last night in the preseason? It looks really bad for us. I mean, it's the preseason, so you don't want to be too soon, but I don't know if you got this. Some of you might have seen there was like actually something pretty serious uh, that happened at their practice, which is pretty urgent, and I just felt like maybe we need to be praying for them. Um, But the Detroit Lions, I I got a breaking news thing. uh, Someone texted it to me. The Detroit Lions football practice was delayed nearly two hours today after a player discovered an unknown powdery substance on the practice field. Head coach Matt Patricia immediately suspended practice and called police and federal investigators. After a complete analysis, FBI forensic experts determined that the white substance unknown to the players was the goal line. Practice resumed after special agents determined the team was unlikely to encounter the substance again this year. Someone texted me that. I thought that was so funny. I needed to share it. Pretty funny. We look pretty bad. Uh, anyway, anyway, back on track. You guys know uh, we're excited. We're in week two of a series. How many of you were, were here last week for Drew Daniels uh, starting our series? He did an unbelievable job. Some of you guys don't know, Drew Daniels. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Drew, if you're watching, he's actually gonna be here in the fall, kind of camping in the lobby um, with us a little bit more, which is super fun because Drew's a close friend. We actually graduated from Adams High School together, class of 09, We always say 09, top of the line. Um, And so it was super fun to hear him. And he was obviously jumping into this idea of of Moses and this stuttering problem. But God, even in the midst of Moses' disability, choosing him and using him to do something extraordinary. And he also shared this big volleyball story that seemed to be really deep and meaningful to him. I, I was listening. I'm like, man, this was a big deal for him. What I learned about myself through that is I don't like losing that wasn't new, I've always known that. But we did lose a little bit, not fun. And, and, but he, it was so good what he was sharing about, man, how God wants to use you. And as we jump into week two, we're studying another character in the Bible, and we'll be doing it again next week. But this week, we're, we're looking at a character. Some of you might be familiar with him. His name is Gideon, found in Judges 6 and Judges 7. I I'd even encourage you after service, maybe go read this tonight and, and just kind of recap what we're talking about today. And as we jump into that, I actually just want to pray for us as we jump into it. I'm excited to be here with you guys today. I think I've been missing for about two weeks, so it's fun to be preaching again today. But I'm excited. Man, last service, I, I, it felt like the Lord was doing something. And so I'm excited that you're here today. I believe there's a reason for it, and I just wanna pray for us. So Father, I just thank you for each and every person that's in here today. Uh, we thank you um, for who you are, God. We pray that the Lions would make the playoffs this year. <laughs> Supernatural prayer for that. And God, I do pray in, in all seriousness, God, that we would see you today, that we would hear you, that we would leave changed, and that we would encounter you, God, and you'd bring revival in our hearts and our church, and we'd see you in a fresh way. So in Jesus' name we pray these things, amen. Amen. So here's a question I wanna pose to each and every one of us today and what we're kind of be walking through as, uh, as I'm teaching today is, is this question, um, do you have faith in what God is saying over what you can see? Do you have faith in what God is saying over what you can see? I, I think as we talk about faith, what, what I've realized is I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what faith actually is and, and common times, the, the, the phrase is like, you just need more faith. Or we sing songs like, let faith rise up. But I really believe, and we'll talk about today, faith is a relational term. And it says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, now faith, given a definition of faith, the writer in Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And so when I'm walking in faith, I'm actually hoping for something I can't see yet, And I have assurance about something I can't see. And so the reality is that when I'm living a life of faith, I'm actually trusting God and what he's saying over what I can actually see physically with my eyes. If you look at the word faith in the Greek, the word that is used for it is pistis. And it actually means to trust and so even in my own life internally, whenever I talk about faith, I use it interchangeably with the word trust. And it also means to be fully persuaded. It's interesting. So what the, the writer's saying is like, when you have faith, you actually have trust in what's gonna happen even though you can't see it yet. And you have trust, why? Because you have faith in what God is saying even over what you're seeing. It says this in Romans ten seventeen. It says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So there's this idea that I'm hearing something through you know, God's spirit or through his word or through people or experience, but what God is saying is actually superior than what I might be seeing. A, a, a couple of years ago, I was down in Missouri with my family. My brother from Colorado, Austin, uh, came with us. He has, he has three kids. Um, they're fostering one, hoping to adopt soon. I actually have a, a picture of them because I feel like he's in Colorado too, to get mentioned. Look how cute his family is. Look at that little porter on the side. And then Olive, and it was really interesting. We got on a boat and it was Olive's first time being on the boat. And you could tell she was really scared. And so I'm watching this from the front of the boat and she gets on the boat and she's like, daddy, look at all the waves. And she was scared. It was kind of rocking. And I watch as my brother goes over to her, picks her up as a good father would. And he's like, Olive, it's okay. I have you, you're safe. It's okay. And I go, what a great illustration. Isn't that how God is with us? that with our eyes, we're seeing, man, look at the storm, look at the waves, look at what's going on. I don't feel safe, but then my brother is there, and what does he say? I'm with you, you're safe, I have you, right? Faith comes from hearing, and as she's hearing what her father's saying to her, it's actually changing the way she's seeing the situation around her. Even earlier this year, this summer, we were on a boat again, and what I realized is Olive is no longer scared of getting on a boat. Why? Because she has faith now. She has trust that this is a safe place. Despite what she saw, her perspective started to change based on what the father was saying. And so I'd ask again, do you have faith in what God is saying over you, your life? Do you have faith in what he's saying to you even more so than what your physical eye might see? I, I, I've i shared this before at a midweek, but when I bought my, my first house right down the road at Lake Orion, um, me and my wife, we were looking at a house down the street and we went away uh, to Arizona. And remember my wife, there was a house in it that we're currently in now. It had a sign in the yard, but it wasn't online. It wasn't on the market yet. And so we were thinking about offering the house down the road and she said, I don't wanna offer until I know what the, you know, one down the street's gonna cost and I wanna see the inside of it. And I'm like, I don't know if we should wait that long. And so we were in Arizona, we told my, my parents about that. And of course, them being the way they are, they go, well, we're gonna go look at it right now. And so they drive over to the subdivision, and they get there and they realize the lights are on. So like stalkers, they walked around the house and they're looking inside of it and they realize someone's inside. So my dad naturally at 8 p.m. at night goes and knocks on the door. And so this guy opens the door and he's like, my dad's like, can we go inside and see it? And he's like, no, we're renovating. We don't want you to be in it. And he's like, well, my, this is my dad. He's a salesman. My son's gonna offer down the, on the house down the street. So if you want him to buy your house, you need to let me in. <laughs> Maybe not that direct. The guy let him in. And so I start getting videos from my dad about the house. And we're like, wow, this does look nicer than the one down the street. And this is what he texts me. This is better than the other house. Offer it now. And so me and my wife have this, this discussion. Are we going to make the biggest purchasing decision of our lives thus far without actually ever physically being in the house or seeing it? And so we did. <laughs> and we got it and it worked out because we got it before it went to market and it worked out for us. And I remember thinking about that story later on. What, what happened is that I know My dad probably wants the best for me even more than I want the best for me. And more than that, I remember thinking, I've never bought a house before. He's bought multiple. He kind of knows probably a little bit better than I do. So when he told me to make an offer, I had trust. I had faith in what he was seeing right over even what I was seeing. I had faith in what he was saying to me over even what I was seeing. And because of my relationship, because of my trust in him, I trusted what he was saying and that history and that relationship that we had. And because of that, it actually ended up being for my good. And so it's interesting as we go into this series, when God looks at you, right? And he says, man, I I wanna use you. This is what I think about the situation you're in. We have a choice within that. Do I have faith? Do I have trust in what God is saying more so than maybe what I am seeing? And so do you believe what he says over what you see? When he says, man, I wanna use you, do you respond saying, hey, do you see what's going on here? Do you know who I am? You can't use me. Or do you have faith and have trust in who he is that he can? And so it's interesting as we study the the book of, of Judges and we get into the character of Gideon, this exact thing is going on. He's in this position of chaos in his nation and God comes to him and wants to use him. And Gideon's like, do you see what's going on here? And it's interesting because what the father is saying is different than maybe what Gideon is seeing. And so as we jump into Gideon, they're in this place. Last week, we, we, we heard about Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and they go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, you can read it. There's kind of this treaty and this covenant that's created between God and the Israelites. As he says, as you obey me, you'll be blessed as a nation. But as you disobey me, bad things are gonna happen. And when we jump into the story in Judges 6, the people have chosen to worship other gods before God, Yahweh, And so because of that, destruction starts coming to their nations, and that's where we jump in in Judges 6. They're in this turmoil, they're in this circumstance that seems terrible, they're being oppressed once again, by these people. And so it says this in Judges 6.1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. They're so scared they're living in mountains because they're scared of these people. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites... Amalekites and other Eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So you see, Gideon and his people are in this place of fear. They're hiding, they're being oppressed. Even when they try to grow crops, they're overtaken. And so they're just basically oppressed by this nation, can't do anything. And in this place of desperation, they haven't been walking with God, but because they're so desperate, they start praying to God to deliver them because they have no other options at this point, which is usually pretty common in our lives. You ever been there where you're like, man, everything is going so bad. I don't even know if I wanna follow God, but I'm at least gonna throw up a prayer and see what happens. And so we're in this place in verse six, that says, Midian impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And it's interesting, even as you read Exodus, when Moses was chosen to deliver the people, it started with the people crying out to God. And when people start crying out to God, movements of God start to happen. When people start crying out to God and they start praying, God will usually pick a person to deliver those people. It's a common theme throughout the scriptures. And I wanna invite you, even uh, this, this week, midweek at 7 p.m., I wanna talk a little bit more about that, And because I really believe as a church, as we go into the fall, We need to have a night where we're crying out to God asking them to move this year, this fall. And so I want to invite you, if this is your home, man, come Wednesday night and be a part of that journey with us. And so it's interesting, they cry out and God hears them. And so this is what happened. It says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. What's he saying? I've done this before, and I can do it again. If you know who I am, all you need to do is come back to me. And this is what he says in verse 10. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so from this place, God is like, I'm gonna deliver you because you cried out. And he's gonna go pick a man that's gonna deliver him. And when he goes to this man, Gideon, Gideon does not believe he is the right guy. He doesn't believe the circumstance can be changed. But God, right in the middle of that, sees something in Gideon that Gideon cannot see in himself. In the same way, God sees something in you that maybe you cannot see in yourself. God wants to use you in a way that you even believe I cannot be used. And so it's interesting what happens is this angel comes to Gideon and calls him. And then in that moment, Gideon tells the Lord what he sees. And in the midst of that, God is saying something completely different. Do you trust what God is saying or do you trust what you're currently seeing? And so the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the Oak of Ophrah. That belonged, not Oprah, okay, easy. That belonged to Joash, that Abazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So what's going on, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which is not what a wine press is used for. It's used for making wine, but he's in this place. He's actually hiding in a cleft because he's so scared of the Midianites. He's so scared of them. He's doing something he's not supposed to do in a place where no one can see him because he doesn't want anyone to get mad at him or, or maybe oppress him. And in the midst of his fear, as he's hiding kind of in a rock in a cave, here's what happened. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. If I came up to a dude that was hiding in a rock and didn't want anyone to see him, I'd be like, what are you doing over there, man? You scared? The Lord comes to him, what does he say? The Lord is with you mighty warrior. And even Gideon, you could tell he's like, what What are you talking about? I love verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You ever, you ever been there like, it's so real, like this character, like the Bible's so real. It's like, God's like, I'm with you. And you're like, if you're with me, do you see what's going on here? You're not with me. Like we get in this story, at the beginning of the story, Gideon, he's like, God has abandoned us. That's his faith journey. That's who God's calling mighty warrior and wants to use to deliver him. He doesn't even believe God's with them. He, he's having a faith crisis of himself, he has no faith in what God is saying over what he is seeing. And so it's interesting. Objection one, God comes in and says, I'm with you. And Gideon says, do you see what's going on here? i be like, if Olive looked to my brother and he was like, do you, do you see all the waves? Do you see the storm I'm in? You say you're holding me and it's safe. It doesn't feel like that. Do you see? And so we see in this passage, Gideon has a choice. Is he going to trust what he can see? Or is he going to trust what God is saying? Because here's the truth as we talk about faith, believing you can't do something is having more faith, right, more trust in your disability than God's ability through you. And so what do you trust more? Do you trust your own deficiencies? Do you trust your own weaknesses more than God's power and his word through your life? And so as we talk about faith, and I was saying before, what we have to understand there's I believe there's two forms of faith that you see in the scripture. There's the gift of faith. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the gift of faith given to us through the Holy Spirit. It's a a gift given to people. Some people can carry it. Some people, it's released to you in a moment. You ever been in a moment where you're like, man, I just have faith out of nowhere that something good's gonna happen. God's gonna show up. Right? I'm praying for someone and I just know God's gonna answer this prayer. Like the gift of faith. Maybe you're a person that just walks in a high level of faith and you're the person that's always like, God's gonna show up, God's gonna show up. But then I also believe there's this idea of relational faith. And so when we talk about faith, we have to understand faith is not like individual. Your faith is always in someone. So when we talk about faith, when we talk about trust, faith is a relational term. For instance, with my wife, she is super responsible. If I ask her to do something, I know she's gonna do it. If I ask her to be somewhere, I know she's gonna be there in time. And so through our history, through our relationship, I have trust because I know her character, I know who she is. And so when I ask her to do something in a moment, I have faith and I have trust based on my history that she is gonna show up and do what I ask her to do. And so oftentimes we're like, you just need more faith. More faith is not gonna become by you trying harder or striving. It's gonna come by you building a relationship of trust With God, I like even what God said. He's like, do you see all the things that I've done? Faith always remembers what God's done. And you pull that history, you pull that relationship that you have with God and you apply it to your present moment and it changes the way you look at things. And so often what I find being a pastor is when I'm talking to people and they're talking about this idea of I've lost my faith. What I commonly hear is, man, I was walking with God, but then this tragic event happened, whether it's a sickness, right? a death, maybe it's a divorce, something done to you, something you've done to others. And there's this place of maybe you did something. You're like, I don't have faith that God still loves me. Maybe you feel like God's abandoning you, that something's going on in your life. And you're like, Gideon, if you're with me, why is all this happening? And so there's this reality that we start to lose our faith when we stop trusting in the goodness and the character of God said it like this, the place you lost your faith is the place you lost your trust in God's goodness. And so it's interesting, even with Gideon, it's not like Gideon gets to this place with faith with God immediately, but God takes him on this journey of showing him who he really is. I believe today, for some of you, God wants to start a journey with you of restoring your faith in him and help you discover that he's always been with you, that he is good, that he does love you, that he hasn't forsaken you. And so if I'm sitting down with someone, instead of saying, you need more faith, I'd ask this question. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Let's ask the truth to search you. And maybe even right now, as I say this, you'll have memories come to your mind and ask this question. God, show me when I started to believe I couldn't trust you anymore. Take me back into my journey with you. Show me the place where I started believing I couldn't trust you. That's gonna be the place you lost your faith. And so go to God and say, this is what I saw in that moment. Now tell me what you say. What does your word say? Where were you in that? And here's the thing, you might start this journey of wrestling with God, but wrestling with God and talking to him is way better than being separate and not talking anymore. If you're in conflict, you can get to a place of resolution. If you stop talking, You can't move forward in a relationship. And it's even interesting as you look at Adam and Eve, think about this, the first sin that entered in the world, what did Satan do when he came to him? He says this, he said, did God really say? What is he doing? He's bringing doubt into their mind about the goodness of who God is. And as they started to doubt the character, wow, is God withholding something from us? They started doubting his goodness and his character. And in that place is when they actually entered into sin. And like I'm saying, the reality is you don't get your faith back by trying harder, you get your faith back by trusting in who God is again. And most often that starts with surrender and confession. I love, I love how Gideon, it's not like the Lord gets mad at him for questioning what God is saying to him. you right, he says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, what's going on here? Why is this happening? All around us, you say you're with us, but look at the storm. And getting has this choice in this, will you trust what God is saying to you over what you may be seen? And there is a reality in the truth that, and this is, this is so true that God is not impressed with your ability to fake it with him. He's not impressed with your ability to enter into deception. He knows the deepest longings of your heart. And what he's wanting you to do is come to him with truth. Come to him with your honest thoughts. But don't leave there. You tell him what you think. You tell him what you see. But then you hold on to what he's saying. And what he is saying over your situation starts to become the truth that will set you free. Whether it's you getting a thought from his spirit. Whether it's you being rooted and established in his word. That this would be a hope and an anchor for your soul. Over your situation that you would write this on your mirror. And while your eyes might be seeing something different, you hold steadfast to what the Lord is saying to you. So if you want your faith back, ask this, God, when did I start believing I can't trust you? That your faith would become relational. Commonly in my, my life, I'll go on walks and I'll, I'll just pray to the Lord and I'll talk to him and say, God, what I'm this is what I'm seeing right now. And I'll ask, what are you doing? Like, show me what you're doing. I need to hear your voice. I need to know what you're saying over what I'm seeing because what you're saying is actually eternal and it's truth, and it's more important than what I'm currently, currently seeing. And I, and I believe this, I believe what's so common, and even being younger, I, I feel like more and more, the opposite of faith is unbelief. And I'll tell you what, unbelief is just faith in something else, right? My, my faith in God actually starts, I, I, I pull my relationship, maybe you lost your faith in God, so then your faith becomes in yourself. I need to provide for myself, which is gonna lead to fear and control and anxiety, and you're gonna get burnt out because you're going to have to control your life. Maybe you put faith in your your finances. When I have this much money in my bank account, then I will feel safe. You put your faith maybe in a relationship. And so it's not that you lose your faith. You actually start to put your faith in something else because you believe it's more trustworthy than the Lord. And so it's interesting. We we partner with unbelief because unbelief, what does unbelief say? Man, never get your hopes up because then you'll never be let down. So we lose this childlikeness, this faith. And Maybe you'll never be let down, but you're also never living. You won't connect with people. Unbelief is this, this, this castle that you're building, this self-protection that doesn't allow anyone in. And when you love and when you hope, you open yourself up to being hurt, and there's risk involved. But that's what living truly is. And I really felt like as I was writing this today, for some of you, you're here just to hear this. Get your hopes up again. Start to dream again. Wrestle with Lord, wrestle with him and let him search your heart. Let him bring you to the places where you feel like he's let you down. Let him bring you to the places where you feel like he's abandoned to you. Tell him what you see, but don't stop there. Listen to what he's saying. Let the truth that he is with you start to supersede everything else that you're thinking. And so I love it. His first objection of Gideon is like, do you see what's going on around us? And the Lord's like, I'm with you, mighty warrior. And so then instead of saying, do you see what's going on around us? He starts saying, do you know who I am? And so it says, the Lord turned to him and said, he's like, do you see what's going around? I love the Lord's like, I don't even address that. He just says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He's like, I see what's going on, but do you know how much greater I am than that? I actually wanna partner with you. You want it to change? It's not just God doing it for you. He says, I wanna walk with you and change it with you. I wanna do this together. I wanna become a co-laborer, a co-heir in Christ. And there's situations in your life, you might be like, God, what is going on here? And God's like, well, I wanna do it with you. It's gonna take a little bit of action from you as well. It might be getting a little uncomfortable. Right when you pray, God wants to partner with you. He's like, man, I see what's going on in your life but us together, me with you, we can change this. I see the oppression in the world. I've given you a heart that cares for people. I wanna walk with you and bring solutions in the political realm that will bring justice and freedom to people. Maybe you see in human trafficking in the world and you're like, God, what are you doing about this? And he's like, man, I love that your heart breaks for that. Now let me walk with you. I don't like that either. I wanna bring freedom to those people being trafficked. Let's walk together, I'll show you how. And so God wants to partner with humanity to bring solutions to the earth that would unleash his kingdom here and now. And I love in verse 15, so the Lord says to him, am I not sending you? Go in the strength. And once again, we get Gideon, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. So his objection first is like, do you see what's going on around us? And then the second one, the Lord's like, yeah, I know, I'm sending you. The second one is like, well, well, okay, do you see me? Do you know who I am? I'm the least, I'm nobody. And I love the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. He doesn't even answer, he's not like, I know you're small. He's like, well, I'm gonna be with you. And I was like, what an odd response. Like if I said to someone, I'm like, I don't think I can be used. And they were just like, well, I'm gonna be with you. And I'd be like, yeah, but what does that mean? And I, I was thinking about this. And of course, this is the way I thought, I thought about it, right? I was like, I was thinking of the Super Bowl two years ago. Anyone watch? It was the Patriots and Falcons. Maybe that wasn't two years ago, but it was 28 to three at halftime. The Patriots came back. The biggest comeback in, in Super Bowl history And I was thinking like the Patriots were probably in their locker room at halftime being like, oh my gosh, how are we down 28 to three? This is the worst ever. There's no way we can win. Look at what's going on around us. We're not good enough. And I imagine Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback ever, the GOAT, kicks open the door and he's like, guys, I'm with you. (laughs) Like, do you forget? I'm the the baddest quarterback on the planet. I'm with you. And And I was thinking, I was like, I was like, I was thinking about like Michael Jackson of all people and I was thinking his band's in the back, they're in the green room and there's this huge crowd out there and they're like, man, they're here for this awesome show. I don't think we have what it takes. I don't know if we're good enough. I'm just from this small town and they look at everyone. They're so demanding and I I imagine Michael Jackson kicking open the door and he's like, I'm the greatest entertainer alive. I'm with you. And they're like, oh yeah, we got Tom Brady. Oh yeah, we got Michael Jackson. (laughs) And so Gideon's like, I'm nobody, I can't do this. I imagine the Lord just kicking open the door and he's like, I'm God. I'm with you. I'm with you. But God, do you see what's going on around me? Everything's chaos. My family's falling apart. Do you know who I am? Do you know what my past looks like? You know what I've done? Do you know what's been done to me? I'm nobody. I'm the last one picked. Jesus walks up to you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You might be in the valley. I'm with you in the valley. You might have forgotten who I am. I didn't forget who you are. I'm with you. And the Lord will never forsake you. He will never, you might look back on your past and say, he left me here. We're abandoned like Gideon. He's like, I was there. When you were crying, I was covering you. When you were looking for a savior, I was right there with you. When that person abandoned you, I was actually protecting you. You maybe feel like you're disqualified. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. You've had an abortion and the Lord's like, I'm still with you. Nothing can disqualify you from what the Lord has for you. He's with you. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, by the power of his Holy Spirit, Christ alive with us, every room you walk into. I know myself, I don't feel all the time. Maybe it feels like fear. Maybe you feel like you're going into a future that's uncertain, you're like, I don't know if I have what it takes. Rest assured, he is with you and he wants to walk with you. And he wants you to turn to him. And he invites you into the adventure. He says, come be a part of what I have for you. Come walk with me. See my son Jesus, he revealed my heart for the world. Fix your eyes on this one truth, right? God is madly in love with you. And here's the beautiful truth. You're his child. And if you jump in and go for it and join the adventure, he's not gonna love you anymore because he loves you because you're his. Think of my, my son right now, Bryce. My man's not sleeping good at night, guys. And you know, he doesn't do a lot around the house either. But when I look at him, I don't care what he can do for me. I don't care if at times I have to sacrifice to take care of him. Because I am madly in love with him. He is a part of me. And even if he doesn't ever clean up the house, I will love him forever because he is mine. He is the greatest gift I've ever been given. The greatest gift for me and my wife. And that's how God feels about you. Man, he wants to use you like Gideon and set people free. But man, we don't go do stuff for God to love us. We know he loves us. And from that place, we're liberated to be who he created us to be. Isn't that good news? You didn't perform. And then Jesus says, I'm gonna come and die for their sins. He says, while you're a sinner... Well, no one else wants you, while you're unlovable, while the world sees you shouldn't be picked, Jesus comes to this earth. He says, I'll die for your sins. I'll make your past right. I wanna come and be alive inside of you. I wanna recreate you into a new creation to bring hope and light to a dying world. I want you to be expression of love on this planet. That everywhere you walk, people would say, man, I don't know who those people are, but it feels like God is with them. And it's true he is. And you can walk into a room, might not happen overnight. It took a while for Gideon and walk in with the assurance, God is with me, who can be against me? God is with me, who can be against me? And so I love, um, man, I got this story. I feel like that so encapsulates what we're talking about. If someone feel like, man, I don't know if God can use me, but God beat them right where they're at and taking them on a wild journey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it to you. As I read it, I'm gonna ask the ushers to come down. Uh, we're gonna receive the offering. And man, let's think about that. We can have faith in our money and say, man, it's so hard to let go. I have so much trust. If I have this in my bank account, I'll feel secure. I, I've heard it said before, even with money, like what's the dollar amount that God wants you to have? And there's this truth. When you start getting enough money where you stop trusting him, that's probably the amount that's bad for you. And this is what I'm saying. You'll never have trusted money, but letting go of that into generosity, right? And letting it break greed, it will make you come alive. And so I encourage you to give, you can give online. You see the prompts up there. And so I got this story and I really believe this. You should, be, you should feel qualified for what God's calling you to do, but you're probably not gonna feel prepared. As you look to your future, you should be like, man, Christ qualifies me, I'm qualified by what he's done. But there is something beautiful about not feeling prepared because when you feel prepared, you start doing it in your own strength. When you feel unprepared, your dependence is on the Lord and God is calling you into situations, calling you into places where you feel, I'm qualified by my identity in Christ, but I don't know if I have what it takes. Welcome to living a life of faith in God that you would walk in a situation before him and say, God, I don't know if I have what it takes, but I need you to show up. I need you to be in this with me. And he's like, I'm in it. I'm with you. That we ask for power and then we want to go. God gives us power as we go. He'll give you power and grace for each and every day, but not for the month ahead. It comes as you go. And so I got this email uh, from a woman on our staff named Melody. Uh, She was at a service here, she sent me an email about what God's doing in her life after I, I spoke last time and I thought, man, this is such a beautiful story and picture and I just want you to en- enjoy it. So I got this email, it says, Cody, I wanted to tell you what you said this past weekend about following Jesus and is not a lazy river, but a wild river really stuck with me. I didn't realize that three days later I would get a big taste of that wild river. I apologize for the length, but here's the story of my Wednesday. I am going on my first overseas mission trip Below is how it all came to about. The story of how I came to be a participant on a trip is totally God. I have always been the type of person to say I will support others as they go, but I'm not going. The story begins a few months ago when I received an email at work about the cosmetology trip. I thought to myself, if ever there was a trip I wanted to go on, it would be this one. I quickly let that go because I don't do overseas mission trips. Fast forward a few months and I'm working on a project for the director of short-term trips at the church. To complete the project, I had to add myself to a trip group. I picked one at random, not thinking anything of it. Fast forward to Wednesday, July 31st, my friend Sharon sees me in the kitchenette at work and tells me how excited she is that I'm going to Nepal. I laugh and tell her I'm not actually going, it was a work thing. Then I told her that while I wasn't going, it would have been the trip I wanted to go on if I was one of those people since I'm a trained nail tech. Things got serious then because Shannon told me that the team had been praying for over a month for a nail tech to join the team. At that point, I felt the Holy Spirit in my whole body. I knew he meant me. I was the nail tech they'd been praying for. I told Shannon to forget I even said anything. I wasn't going to go, I just wasn't. I went on with work that day with the thought in the back of my mind that God had a plan for me. Honestly, I was scared. I didn't really wanna talk to him about it. Later that afternoon, Karen came to me. She told me that she had been exhausting all her contacts to find a nail tech and had come up short, that the Nepalese women were super disappointed that a nail tech wouldn't be coming to teach them. Once again, I felt the Holy Spirit telling me that I was the answer to those prayers, that he had prepared me for just this trip. So as Karen asked me to pray about joining them, I knew I didn't need to pray about it. God had already weighed in. Telling Josh, her husband, later that afternoon made me nervous. We couldn't afford for me to do this. We have Gabe 11 and Zeke 2 at home. How would we be able to pull this off? I didn't know how he would react. What I didn't anticipate was his reaction to be an overflowing of joy and laughter. He was instantly excited and told me, it's about time God pulled you out of your comfort zone. He then told me to call Karen and tell her I was in because if God was calling me, he would also provide. So here I am. I walked into work that day as a person never going on an overseas mission trip to leave as a person going to Nepal. I'm excited, I'm scared, and I'm trusting God. He is the author of this crazy adventure and I'm willing to take the ride with him. Just a Wednesday following Jesus. And it's interesting in this story, Gideon gets called, he finally goes, he does these things, he's building faith with God. He has an army of 32,000 to go take on, an army of 135,000 Midianites, not good odds, four to one is the ratio. Some of you have read Judges seven, I've encouraged you to go read it. The Lord makes him get his army down to 300 people. And so now his odds are 300 to 135,000, that's 450 to one. But guess what? God was with them. And they won the battle. And I believe Gideon on that journey with 300 soldiers, his eyes are seeing 135,000. But he had faith in what God was saying rather than what he could see. And I really believe as God calls you into what he has for your life, as he calls you into something new, as he first calls you to himself, you might feel like, I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough. And here's the truth. You don't. But here's another beautiful truth. He wants to walk with you. And as you walk with him, you will have more power than you ever believed through his spirit. You will have more insight and you might trip and you might fall down. And that's what he's saying, I'm with you. You might be in the valley, he's saying, I'm with you. You might say, this is what I see. God's saying, I'm with you. You might say, look at who I am. God's saying, I'm with you. And I'm bigger than all that. And so as we close today, we're gonna sing. I love this song because what we're singing is, man, I'm not enough, God, unless you come. And here's the truth. He wants to come, he's going to come, and he's asking you to run with him. So I'm gonna pray for us as we sing this out. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I thank you that that reality, that truth, even for myself, God, as we leave this room, we would be cemented, God, we'd be founded on that truth. You are with us, God. And that reality, that truth changes everything in the sorrows, in the joys, in the heartaches, in the highs, God, you are with us. And that is the greatest truth that we could ever have, that we can be in relationship with a living, active, alive God, who is hope, who is light, God. And so we pray your power, God. We pray that faith would be renewed today and that we would see you like never before as we leave here today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.